right. Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, let me start with a question. What is it in your life that you would defend? Um, maybe for you right away, you're thinking, oh, my family, for sure, my house, um, maybe some of your possessions. Uh, what about your principles, though? Like, what is it in your life that you would stand up for if it was challenged? I mean, everybody, every human being has a line somewhere, but what is it in your mind that you would stand up for, that you would contend for. Uh, we're gonna talk about that a lot this morning as we are starting a brand new teaching series today. For the next six weeks, as a church, we are gonna be studying the letter of Jude in the Bible. Uh, let me just say uh, from the outset, this is not a letter that is typically taught on in churches these days. Uh, in fact, uh, many scholars call Jude the most neglected letter of the New Testament. Uh, Jude is a very short letter. In fact, it's only just one chapter. Uh, but what it uh, lacks in length, it makes up for in its intensity. Uh, it is a very challenging letter, which is why I think it's often skipped in churches today. But like I tell you, if we're always skipping the challenging parts of the Bible, then we never get to understand the real Christianity. So everybody grab a Bible. Bibles are uh, under the chair in front of you. Uh, we are going to be on page 836 towards the back. All right. Uh, while you're finding your spot, let me uh, tell you, most scholars believe the letter of Jude uh, was actually written by Jude, Jesus's half-brother. So in other words, they shared the same mother, Mary, but Jude's father was actually uh, Joseph. Uh, here's an interesting thing about Jude that you may not know, uh, even if you grew up in church. Jude's name is actually Judas. So if you read the Greek, it very clearly says Judas, but even going back to the King James Version 400 years ago, English translators nicknamed him Jude because they were worried that no one would ever want to read the letter of Judas because they would confuse it with Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. So they thought, let's just give this guy a nickname, Jude, and that's what we're stuck with in our English Bibles. Okay, all right, so let's read the first uh, four verses uh, for our message today. So starting right at the beginning of Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude starts off with just a kind of a general introduction to a letter like you'd see in many uh, ancient letters from that day. And then he says that, <clears throat> I actually wanted to write to you all about the salvation that we share in Christ. So he wanted to write, you know, something kind of happy about love and God's mercy, that sort of thing. But then he felt compelled by the Spirit to write about something uh, not as happy, <laughs> but just as important. And Jude writes this fairly fiery letter about false believers who want to reshape God to fit their own desires. And then Jude challenges Christians to do something about that. <clears throat> Specifically, 
Jude says in the middle of of verse three, and don't miss this because this is actually the theme of the entire letter. In fact, it's the name of our series. I've never done this before, but I even named the title of our message the exact same thing. It is the title track because this is so important. Okay, she says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. That is the theme of this letter. But what does that mean, contend for the faith? Uh, Well, the word contend uh, actually comes from the athletic world uh, specifically, it comes from the wrestling world, and it, it means to use intense effort to win. So, like, if, if you need to get ringworm along the way, like, you get, you get that's, a, that's a wrestling joke. Uh, okay, anyway, uh, <laughs> what Jude is saying is that if our Christian faith is true, then we should strive intensely to defend it against those who would attempt to reshape it. And we contend for the truth because it's valuable, isn't it? Uh, a c- biblical commentator, David Guzik, says it this way. He says, listen, if you walk into like an art gallery and they don't have any uh, security guards, they don't have any security systems, uh, what kind of conclusion would you come to? You'd go, oh, well, I guess there's nothing of value in this art gallery. If something is valuable, you protect it, you defend it. And so we need to contend, not physically, but verbally. We need to contend for the truth of our faith. Now, some of you are already hearing this uh, incorrectly, so I need to clarify. You're already, like, you've already developed some truth bomb that you're going to drop at your family Thanksgiving this year. Uh, others of you, you're, like, you're already drafting a social media post in your head about how you're going to call out the sinners of this world. Okay, slow down for a second. If you read on the entire letter of Jude, uh, even for just verses 3 and 4, contextually, context matters in the Bible. Contextually, Jude is talking about contending for the faith against people that are within the church, not those outside of it. Now, not that there isn't a place for cultural engagement in bringing truth to the broader culture, but that isn't what this passage is about. And I would actually personally argue that Christians uh, over the last decade have been too contentious with how we interact with the, sexual, the secular world around us and not contentious enough with how we interact with the false teachers within the Christian world. Uh, Jesus himself is a really good example here. Uh, not that Jesus isn't always a good example, but specifically here, his grace and his patience with non-believers seems almost inexhaustible. But to the false teachers, like the Pharisees, He was incredibly bold and stern, contending for the truth of the faith so that people wouldn't be led astray. And by the way, now some of you need to hear this. When Jude writes contend for the faith, uh, the Greek for that doesn't mean be a jerk. Okay? Because some of you are like, well, I'll just tell it how it is. Uh -uh. The Bible says when you are contending that you are to do so with wisdom, you are to do so with respect, and you are to do so with gentleness. It's Colossians 4, it's 1 Peter 3. Okay, let's go deeper. Look at the second half of verse 3. Jude says, I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. All right, so we contend for this faith because it wasn't invented by us. It wasn't discovered by us. It was delivered to us by God, and Jude says, once for all. That means it does not change. We don't get to change it over time. And then Jude says something. This is pretty weighty, actually. He says that you and I, 
as God's people have been entrusted. God has entrusted us to contend for what this really says. Meaning that we are not to twist it to make it more palatable to our friends who don't want to hear about what it says about sin. We're not to cut out parts about hell or judgment and so our family members don't have to think about that. Because notice, in verse two, who's this addressed to? He's addressing it to all who have been called to Christians. This isn't just a letter for pastors saying, pastors, make sure that you guys contend. In fact, three times throughout this letter, when Jude refers to his readers, he just calls them dear friends. And so this is a letter for all of us, every person in this room, as Christ followers. Jude is urging us to contend for the faith, not just from the pulpits of our churches, but from the circles of our small groups. So like if you're in house groups, and you're in your small group, and somebody says, you know, I just don't really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jude would say, contend for the faith. Don't just do this Minnesota nice shrug of the shoulders. Next question? Because some of you do that. He's saying, contend for the faith. When you're at work and you're out to lunch with some of your coworkers and one of them says to you, you know, I go to the church, but I hear you talk about the Bible. Um, You don't actually like believe, believe the Bible, do you? Jude would say, contend for the faith. When you're at a a, a gathering of your relatives and one of them says to you, you know, I really wish you would stop posting uh, on social media about Jesus because Christianity is outdated, it's oppressive, it needs to be reimagined, that you would contend for the faith, that you would be bold in those situations and say, actually, can I just respectfully tell you why I believe this is true? Let me tell you why this changed my life. Let me tell you why I believe in the unchanging truth of God's word against a culture that never stops changing. We are to contend for the faith. And in our passage today, Jude warns us specifically to contend with one particular attack on the truth. So I want to laser in on that attack. Now let's actually look at verse, I want you to look at verse four one more time with your eyes. So he says this, verse four, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people. Now watch what we do, because this is what we contend against. Who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Okay, so Judas warning here about people who call themselves Christians, but they're actually condemned by God. Truthfully, they're unbelievers. In fact, he says they are ungodly. And he says, these false believers are taking God's grace, his forgiveness, and they've perverted it. They've turned it into a license for immorality, for for sin. So here's what these ungodly people are teaching. They're saying things like this. We want you to know that God is love. God is just love. And he loves you the way that you are. And he just wants you to be you He wants you to live your own truth, and he wants you to live however you want. He is love. What is that? That's a perversion. It's a twisting of God's grace. Now, the real word of God says that God is incredibly forgiving. You actually can't out-sin his grace. You can come to him at any time, but when you come to him, 
It says then you come under his wing, you come under his leadership, you walk in his path, and you let him shape you and conform you into the image of his son. That's the truth of the word of God. But what's happened now, for centuries and centuries, people have twisted, they have perverted, specifically, God's amazing grace, just like Jude warned, and they've turned it into a license, a freedom for immorality. And that, uh, that phrase in the Bible often is translated licentiousness. Uh, specifically, it refers almost every time to the sexual arena. Now, let me say this. As a church, uh, we are uh, going to do a detailed series on sex, on sexuality, on gender, on identity uh, within a year here. And we're going to dive really deep into those subjects when we get there. But let me just say for now, in general terms, we can say that Jude is talking about people that feel that they've got this license, this freedom, this permission to live however they want, especially sexually, because of God's grace. And Jude could have written this letter yesterday, right? That's not unreal. This is one of the things I just love about the Bible. But this is us. This is our culture. I mean, especially <clears throat> starting from the sexual revolution of the late uh, 1960s, we, as an American culture, we have thrown off all restraint, we've thrown off all modesty, uh, the boundaries of marriage, of sexuality, of gender, you name it. Everything, especially for, for teenagers and young adults, everything right now is just one big blur with no boundary lines in sight. Now, what I want you to understand is if you go back 50 years, 70 years before the sexual revolution in America, sinful nature, how we are made, just the same. People are just as sinful, but when people engaged in sexual sin, and they did, in those days it was generally in hiding, and people felt at least a measure of guilt for their hookups, or their adultery, or their experimentation, or whatever it was. But now, in 2023, we are living in the world that Jude warned of, where people feel that they have a license for immorality. And sin, therefore, is now out in the open in a way that it just wasn't previously. But let's back up a little bit, because let's talk about how, how, how we even get here and how we got here because what happens in history every time before any a culture with a christian background deteriorates into this stage where we just more fully and openly embrace sin in our culture what happens first is false teachers come in first and they twist the words of god because remember jude is not talking about contending with atheists or secular people. He's talking about contending with people who claim the name of Christ. See, moral decline in a society historically happens when people begin to question the Bible and its teachings, specifically on morality. By the way, this is literally, and I mean literally, the oldest trick in the book. Like if you go to Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes up to Eve in the garden and he says, did God really say? Now this is very subtle. Notice he doesn't say, does God really exist? He just says, did God really say? And I just want you to know, 
my Christian friends, it is right here, it's right at this juncture, at this point, when people around us attempt to reshape what God really said that we must contend for the faith. When people say, did God really say, we say, yes, yes he did, and he's God. Who are you? Brothers and sisters, it is so critical. If we do not contend with these people who label themselves as Christians, and yet, as Jude says, they deny Jesus as their sovereign and Lord by how they live, if we don't contend with them, then multitudes more are gonna be led astray. And, and tragically, in the name of God. And not only are they gonna be led into error about who God is, but they're gonna be led into a life of pain and regret and bondage to sin, and even more seriously, yet many of them to everlasting torment in hell. And so we must contend for the truth from our churches to our couches to our cubicles. May we contend. Because just hear me on this. As, <clears throat> as somebody who absolutely loves history, I will tell you, Christianity reinvented never works. And I'm not talking about contextualizing uh, Christianity uh, with different uh, music or dress or art or style so that you can reach a different age group or a different culture around the world. No, 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 that's actually just good ministry. That's, That's what the Apostle Paul did. I'm talking about how every generation seems to have this set of people who wants to redefine the teachings of Christianity to its own cultural appetites and tastes. And that, in history, never works. Uh, let me give you one example. Uh, in, in America, uh, through the middle, really the middle part of the 20th century, most of, not all, but most of the mainline Protestant denominations uh, in America decided that they were just not going to believe anymore in many of the core theological doctrines of Christianity. And so they let go of their beliefs on uh, salvation uh, through Christ alone. They let go of the belief of the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. Uh, They stopped believing in the inerrancy of scripture, that is, that the Bible is true. And they decided that basically they would just give their people a license to live however they wanted to, and then their churches would mostly just focus on doing good in the community. And you gotta know, when this first change started to happen, people were attracted to it. They thought, okay, well, I've been going to church for a long time. Now I can go to one of these churches, and they aren't gonna talk to me. They're not gonna make me uncomfortable like that guy at Renovation Church. They're gonna, I, could, I, could, I don't have to hear about sin or how I'm wrong or judgment or, or anything like that. And so people were attracted to that. But after a while, they started thinking, what's the point? Like, what's the point of going to a church to listen to a teaching on a book that I don't even believe in? And, and that message that I'm hearing now at that church about doing good in the community, and uh, honestly, I can hear that at any community group. I can hear that at the local political rally down the street, and they just stop going. And these mainline churches in America, I am not exaggerating here, have lost not just millions, but tens of millions of adherents in just the last 50 years. Because in history, reshaping the teachings of Christianity to fit the tastes of your current culture never works, ever. And yet it's happening again, even in our day. There are churches 
that are still trying to do this. Uh, what, what I've seen happening uh, over the last, uh, I would say, five to ten years is uh, even at some of our good biblical churches, somebody will come, sometimes there's a group of people, and they will rise up within the church, and they bring in a worldly version of Christianity. And there are all sorts of different variations of this, and they, they bring it in, but whatever they bring in, it compromises the doctrines and the true teachings of the word of God. And not enough people in those churches, uh, specifically not enough people in the leadership of those churches, are saying, no, not here. The Christian faith has been entrusted to us. Not here, be gone. And we're hesitating in our American churches to speak like that, but I just want to tell you that is exactly how Jesus, Paul, and Peter warned us to treat wolves in the church. That we contend for the faith because it's valuable. And what I want you to understand about this sort of reinvented Christianity, because it's still happening in our day, is that it almost always is actually just a bridge to agnosticism or even atheism. People feel like they're getting on this bridge to just a new and exciting way to walk with Jesus, but almost always, and I bet you can even point this out in some people in your life, almost always that bridge within two years or five years, it leads to people just ditching Jesus altogether. That's why my good friend uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, the new views are not old truth in better dress, but deadly airs with which we can have no fellowship. And not just because they're wrong, but because they hurt people. You know, one of the most heartbreaking videos I've ever seen with my life, in my life was somebody sent me this YouTube video, and it was this guy, uh, he's uh, street preaching, uh, which is amazing, in this big city, and there's a ton of people going by, and he is on fire, and he is accurately teaching the word of God. And sometimes he would interact with the people and let them talk into the microphone. Well, this one guy comes by. This man who comes by, he is engaged in his life in all sorts of just deviant sexual sin. I'm not going to go into detail, but suffice to say, it would make everyone in the room blush. And as this preacher is very accurately sharing about forgiveness and the grace of God, he begins to share about repentance. And what that means, repentance is to turn from your life of sin and now walk in a new way with Jesus Christ and leave that old life behind. This man grabs the microphone from the preacher and he says, oh, I don't need to do that. He said, I've visited church and they told me in church that God loves me no matter what I do and I can just keep on doing what I'm doing. That is the love of God. And my heart just broke in half watching this video because think about it, this man, He's a person. He's a person whom Jesus loves. This man is trying to know God. He went to church and they lied to him. In the name of Jesus, they lied to him. And unless someone gets through to him, he's going to perish and be in an eternity apart from Christ. May we contend. Okay, this is why... We don't talk about this a lot, I, I don't think, in the American church, but this is why. If you were just to read straight through the, the letters of the New Testament, you would see that so often they talk about false teachers. Like, often, often. This is why Jude says, contend. Contend for the faith. Why? Because people's eternities are resting on it. Listen to me. This is worth 
The gospel is worth you being bold. The gospel is worth you staking your life on to bring truth to the people around us. I mean, if we just stay silent, what, what, what other message do you want out there? Like, is there a better message that you're willing to just sit back and let that carry the day instead? Because you've got to realize that if we don't contend, you know that everybody else is contending, right? And so if we don't contend, what message do you want to carry the day? Like, you just want the secular message to carry the day? That we're all just like an accident? That amino acids just somehow accidentally bumped together and life on earth started and there's no meaning to life and no morality and no afterlife? I mean, should we just stay silent as Christians and just let that message carry the day for our culture? Like, is the message that Christianity is nothing but a political movement better? Because I hear plenty of people talking about that nowadays, that Christians supposedly only care about getting the right people in leadership and the right laws enacted. Should we just, as Bible-believing Christians who know the word of God, should we just kind of stay silent and let people believe that's what Christianity is? Or do or we just let the culture's twisted version of grace win the day? That, that, hey, you know what, everybody has a license to sin, you can live however you want, and in the end, because God is love, he will bring everyone to heaven. Boy, that sounds really good. But it's not true. I actually believe that many people know that in their hearts when they sin against God. They feel a conviction. That's how God made us. It's an internal moral law. They feel a conviction of sin, but so many people, they just try and bury it and they suppress it with more alcohol, or more sex, or more money, or more career, or more drugs, or you name it. And when we as Christians continue to stand on the sidelines in silence, never contending for truth, never pointing people to the gospel, we are condemning them to a life of pain, and to a life of heartache, and to a life of not knowing God, and ultimately many of them to an eternity without Christ. And so I'm just saying to you, the message that I want to contend for, and I pray that you do, is the gospel. It is the biblical truth given from God, entrusted to God's holy people, that we are sinners. That we are messed up. And yet our God is so good that he loves us so much, and he is willing to forgive us, that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And if we would accept that, he would bring us in and show us how to walk in real life. Please, let me just speak biblical truth clearly to our culture right now. This is the truth of God's word. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Think about it this way. Okay, if if I'm walking on the streets of St. Paul and I see a drug addict laying down on the ground, barely conscious, and he's a wreck, and he's smelly, and his life is just an absolute mess. And I walk up to him and say, I love you, man. I just want you to know I love you. Even in your mess, I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I just want you to know that it is so important to me that you do you. And that you just continue to seek out however you want to live, whatever pleasures you want to seek out, that you just seek that out and enjoy the pleasures of life. Love you, man. Have a great day. Is that really love? Like, is all love is just a license to do what you want? Is that how you all show love to your kids? 
You just say, oh, honey, I, I prove my love to you by letting you do whatever you want. See, because that's exactly how the false teachers are describing the love of our God. Is it not a greater love if I say to that attic on the street, I see you. I love you in your mess. In fact, I love you so much that I'm going to say to you right now, get up and follow me and I will show you how to get out of this mess. Is that not real love? That is why Jude says, contend. Contend, Christians. The world's version of love is just a mirage that leads to sinful bondage. Contend. Say to your friends and your family members, no, no. They are lying to you. It's a mirage. You come over here. Come over here. The living water is over here, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ will come to you and he will give you a water so that you will never thirst again. So that you can know life. And not only life, you can know eternal life. And my friends, my Christian friends, if there is anything, anything that is worth contending for, it is that. Let me pray. Jesus Christ, give us courage again as Christians in this country, in this culture. Give us boldness, God. The world around us is perishing And they are perishing, so many of them, because they have been peddled a lie, a perversion of your grace. God, may we boldly speak the truth of the gospel into our culture. Jesus Christ, we love you. Embolden us. In your name we pray. Amen.